Back in the Stone Age, back when I was in first grade, and yes, we did have to walk to school in the snow uphill both ways for 10 miles. <clears throat> I went to Highlawn Elementary School in Huntington, West Virginia. I came across a picture of it the other day. Yes, it's still standing. I know everybody is just amazed by that. But, uh, but one of the things that I remember so well in this public school uh, is every day uh, we would do a number of things. Uh, we would uh, count from five to a hundred by fives, five, 10, 15. We would count to a hundred uh, by tens, 10, 20, 30, 40. See, I still remember. Um, we would say the Pledge of Allegiance, but then we would recite the Lord's Prayer. This is public school. <clears throat> and I remember... Uh, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And I remember my dad saying to me, Jim, don't say that. Actually, it wasn't Jim, it was Jimmy then. Uh, don't say that. Say, thy kingdom has come. And, and we see passages of scripture, uh, like Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then Jesus himself, that was John the Baptist, Jesus himself said from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So our assumption over the years has been that the kingdom is the church. We wipe our hands clean and say, there we answered that. But it goes far beyond that. It goes far beyond that. We, we sell ourselves short when it comes to talking about that. And Jesus talked a lot, a lot about the kingdom. He said the kingdom of heaven was like a sower who sowed seed in a field. <clears throat> some fell on the good soil, some fell among the, the pathway, some fell uh, on, in thorny soil. And I mean, he, he, he just told this interesting story about this. In fact, his disciples came to him later and said, what do you mean by that? He said the kingdom of heaven was like a mustard seed. Very small, and yet it grew into something very big. He said the kingdom of heaven is also like yeast. It just kind of goes throughout the whole thing. He said it's like a treasure hidden in a field. The guy goes out and he sells everything he has just to get that treasure. Or like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Or he says the kingdom of heaven is like a net that's let down into the, the lake and it catches a lot of fish. Or he says it's, it's like a king who wants to settle his accounts. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the kingdom. It's like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. It's like ten virgins who went to a wedding. I mean, it's all over the place. If you want to look it up sometime, you can find it all over Scripture. We're given some insight into a story that we quote often. Mark gives a few more details, and this is a story that we have looked at a lot. <clears throat> but there's a statement that's made in this that, that's not made in the other Gospels. 
One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The important one, he says, is, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. <clears throat> and there is no commandment greater than these. That's usually the part that we talk about. Well said, teacher, the man replies. You are right in saying that God is one and that no one, there is no one other than, but him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbors yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And listen to what Jesus says. When Jesus saw he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And so it's hard for us to understand this whole concept of kingdom. <clears throat> we don't live in a kingdom per se. Uh, we, and we could argue about this. There are some people that say democracy. There are some say representative republic. But we don't live in a kingdom where we have a king who decrees, who says do this, who, who says you've got to do this, you've got to obey this. England has a queen, but she's really not a sovereign like the sovereigns used to be. And I had a hard time understanding that word sovereign. <clears throat> I found this definition. The sovereign is the one who exercises power without limitation. Sovereignty is essentially the power to make laws, and the term also carries implications of autonomy. To have sovereign power is to be beyond the power of others to interfere. Now that takes on a whole new meaning to us, doesn't it? In Revelation chapter 4, it's interesting, as you come to this wonderful book and and they they come before the throne room of god and and all they can do is bow down and worship the one that's on the throne in fact they say holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come you are worthy our lord to receive glory and honor and power and then in chapter five of revelation we see jesus and the people fall down in front of them and they say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And to him who sits on the throne to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And in Matthew 28, as Jesus is getting ready to go into heaven, what's he say? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we know who the sovereign is. And so the kingdom is so much more than just the church. It's everything. God's sovereign reign is over everything. And the kingdom is important because Jesus said it was the reason why he came. God had a relationship at one time with humans. In the garden, it was perfect relationship. It was, it was really a kingdom. God was sovereign, 
And he said, you know what? You can do anything you want. And they disobeyed. They disobeyed God. And what we have from that time on is God trying to get back into relationship. <coughs> I'm like you. It's, it's, uh, it's allergies or something. I'm not sure what it is. It's not COVID. <coughs> but when I get excited and start talking and I use my voice and I, I you know, and what I did was, was, was unforgivable. I coughed into a live mic. So anyway, where was I? I got to start all over again. <clears throat> that relationship was broken. The relationship that God had with humankind ended in such a way that, that it was not what it was supposed to be. And Jesus came to set all things right. Jesus came. In fact, he said on several occasions, this is why I came to proclaim the kingdom. And so he, he came in order to reestablish that relationship. It, it was a, it's to be a priority in our lives. There are a lot of things that are important to us. If I sat down and said, what's important to you? You could come up with a list of things. Well, <clears throat> my... my uh, my, my this and my that, and my family, my uh, work, my job. And Jesus says, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. In everything that we do, our first priority must be, how does this affect the kingdom and my relationship to it? I've told you this before, people that come to me and they'll ask me, uh, you know, different things. One, one came to me one time and asked me about a job. Should I take this job? And I went to that passage right there and said, seek first the kingdom. Does this help you seek first the kingdom of God? It's what we should do is always ask that question. It's like our mission statement. What is the priority that we have? in order to serve God. And by doing that, it becomes who you are. Peter tells us that we're priests, that we're a holy nation, that we're special possessions. And he says in Ephesians, he says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of the kingdom with God's people and also members of his household. And so it's hard to describe this kingdom, but we're subjects of the kingdom. We may have a passport that says we are citizens of the United States, but we're citizens of the kingdom. He's the one who we follow. He's the one whom we emulate. And on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember Moses and Elijah shows up and, and Peter, James, and John, they're standing there and Peter wants to make a temple to all of them. And a voice comes out of the cloud and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to listen to him. He is the, the, the one of the kingdom that we should listen to. 
During Jesus' time, there were people who thought that the kingdom was going to come and overthrow Rome. And that wasn't going to happen. In fact, Jesus, it was interesting because he kept telling people. He said, I'm not a kind of king that you think. They wanted a king that would ride up on the white horse and ride into Jerusalem, wielding his sword and saying, this is it, the end of Romans' rule. Instead, he came in on a donkey. So different than what they expected. And in John 18, Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate is questioning him and asking him and he says, is it true? Is it true that you are a king? And Jesus' response to him is this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by Jewish leaders But now my kingdom is from another place. I appreciated what Hunter had to say during our communion. If you have a kingdom that's here on earth, or if you have a a house, you have to repair it. You have to fix it up. You have to mow the lawn. But Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this place. So what is the kingdom, and what does it mean to me? I think we have to go to Luke 17 to find the answer. The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. If it were the church, why didn't Jesus say, well, a few days Pentecost is going to come, and what you need to do is just to wait until that happens, and in Jerusalem... Uh, The apostles are going to gather together. The Holy Spirit's going to come on them. He's going to establish a church. 3,000 are going to be baptized on that day. And uh, you can be one of them. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says this. He says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in you your midst. King James Version says, it is within you. N.T. Wright's version says that it's within your grasp. The kingdom of God is the rule of God, the rule of Jesus in your life. That he is sovereign Lord of your life and you do everything, everything within your power. To please him and fulfill his commands. Does this sound like you? Does this sound like your life? Does this sound like you're a a citizen of the kingdom of God? Because it's not just a one-time thing. It's not just something that happens and and, and maybe even a a once-a-week thing. It's not that. It is Christ's rule in your life. And it's a lifetime commitment. And it's a decision that you'll never regret. The kingdom is something that we're not going to be able to put our hands on because it says it lies within our hearts. 
That's a, that's a deep concept. That's something that we can't put our fingers on. That's something that we struggle with. Except to say, Jesus is king in my life. Darrell has picked a song for us to sing to encourage you. I hope if, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, the one who directs your life is not the king of your life, that you can take care of that today. <clears throat> Remember what that verse says there in Luke, that the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's within you. You need to be in that. And I hope and encourage you to do so. If you want to, to come at this time, we're going to sing a song. Our shepherds and their wives will be in the back. If you need to talk to them, would you do so while we stand and sing?